This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 1205 of Horse Tip Daily, your almost everyday morsel of helpful hints, useful facts, and practical techniques for horse folks. Brought to you today by Kentucky Performance Products. Greetings, horse people. Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily. Today's tip features Steve Krause from the Cornell University Farrier Program with a look at the functions and pitfalls of the external structures of the hoof. And we'll get right to our tip after this important message from Kentucky Performance Products. Spooky, tense, edgy, unfocused. If these words describe your horse, a calming supplement could make training easier and riding more fun. Trouble-free paste from Kentucky Performance Products is scientifically formulated to support proper nervous system function and help your horse maintain a more confident, focused, and relaxed disposition. Trouble-free contains a blend of ingredients that support your horse's normal nerve cell and muscle function and is available in a convenient 80cc oral dosing syringe containing two 40cc servings. Ask for trouble-free from Kentucky Performance Products at your local feed and supply store or go to www.kppusa.com. And now, on with today's tip. And I'm so happy to welcome back to the show Steve Krause, the fellow in charge of the Farrier Program at the Cornell University. And he comes by on a regular basis and enlightens us about all things hoof, or hoof if you will. And this time we're going to be talking about the structures of the hoof from the outside. From the point of view of structures of the outside of the foot, give us a give us a rundown of what we're going to see on the outside and what the what those things are supposed to be functioning as because I think sometimes we know what the parts are called but we don't know what purpose those parts have. Okay, well let's start off with the main thing that you see with the horse standing and that is the hoof wall itself. And that's the, you know, the stronger main, you know, one of the, one of the main weight-bearing structures of the horse's foot. And that's what we see on the outside. That's sort of like a, gives the horse a lot of protection. Um, and the bony column of the leg happens to hang to some degree, on the inside of the hoof wall that, you know, that you visually see. And I think we're going to be talking about the internal structures um, at some point. So, you know, we'll talk about how that hangs um, on the hoof wall at some point. Um, so um, the next thing that we see on, on the hoof is when we pick it up, it's insensitive. It's on the outside of the hoof wall. Is, is the sole, and the sole um, is what, um, you know, protects the bottom of the foot and uh, uh, does share a certain amount of, of weight-bearing, but it's not a main weight-bearing structure, it's just partial weight-bearing. And then, and so the junction between the sole and the hoof wall um, is called the white line. So it's a kind of a change of tissue there. So we're looking at the bottom of the foot. We're looking at the very the end of the, the tissue that make up the, the hoof wall. 
And when we're looking at the bottom, where it joins by the white line, we're looking like at an almost a 90-degree or not quite a 90-degree angle of the sole. And that junction that we call the white line uh, is actually where all the what's called the sensitive lamini are that go, are on the inside of the hoof wall that interdigitate to the coffin bone and hold up that bony column I just mentioned. So, you know, that's sort of like this. It's, it's almost I'm trying to talk in 3D here. And then in the center of the foot is the frog, that V-shaped, rubbery-looking part. And that also is a weight-bearing structure. So pretty much everything that you see on the outside is protection and weight-bearing. Now, if we want to look a little bit more detail as we go around the perimeter of the foot where this white line is, if we follow it back to the you know back part of the foot, it makes a V with the with a structure called the bar. And that's a continuation of the the hoof wall that goes alongside the frog and making that you know that V shape on each side of the foot. And so that you get the the V shape of the frog is forward, and the V shape of the, the point of the heel and the bars now is aimed backward. So there you've got the main weight bearing structures of the outside of the foot. So when we look at the exterior wall of the hoof, um, ex- and you see when the farrier trims the horse's feet, or when the farrier puts horseshoes on the horse's feet. Invariably, the out, the exterior of that hoof wall is filed down to some extent or another. It sometimes there's yes, a whole right. there's a good bit taken off, and sometimes there's only a tiny little bit. Explain to me how how thick is that hoof wall, and why is it that we can rasp some of it off? Well, it's again, it's an insensitive structure, similar to your fingernail. Like you can cut some of your fingernail off as it grows long. And so the hoof wall, again, is, is goes, grows down from the hairline down to the ground. And so what's on, on the ground is the oldest hoof wall, whereas what's emanating from the hairline or the coronary band is the newest hoof wall. And that's growing down, you know, at a various rate. Of, you know, some horses grow hoof wall faster than others. Um, and then certain breeds grow thicker hoof walls or thinner hoof walls. So... A thin hoof wall breed would be like a thoroughbred. Some of the um, more non-show horsey Arabs uh, grow a fairly um, thick hoof wall. Uh, your your draft horses and and your warm bloods again have a, a thicker hoof wall. So a hoof wall can be anywhere from an eighth of an inch on a young horse, which is quite thin, to three eighths or even a half of an inch thick uh, on another horse. And a you know heavier older horse, so, so you have variability there. So, as far as hoof wall is concerned, you can have a great deal of variation in thickness between one horse and another. Um, Correct. I'm guessing that a hoof wall that's too thin is a bad thing. Um, and what what can be some of the um, ramifications of a horse that has a naturally occurring very thin hoof wall? Well, that horse doesn't have a lot of, again, remember the, the uh, bony column of the horse's uh, leg is attached on the inside of that. And so the hoof wall has to be flexible to a certain degree. It does move, expands, weight-bearing, 
and and unloading and loading. But if you if you have a, a, a very thin wall on, on a bigger horse, then it's going to actually not hold the horse up well, and that bony column doesn't have a lot to interdigitate to on a smaller, thinner, uh, highly flexible hook wall. So you might get cracks. You might even get um, uh, uh, certain of part of the the bony column actually sort of sliding down through it over time and giving you a, a very flat-footed horse because he loses his, what we call this arch, this, this space underneath the sole that is only partial weight-bearing. It should not be completely weight-bearing. So you have all these things that can happen with weak, thin hook walls. So and then when you try and nail shoes to them, again, you don't have a lot of, no, no different than nailing into a thin piece of wood and trying to have it be very durable. You don't have a lot of good material to, to have a nail into. To work with, yeah. Conversely, can a horse's hoof wall be too thick? Is there Are there ramifications to a horse with an excessively thick hoof wall? Uh, I really, I don't think so. Um, uh, a, a horse that has a, a good, thick, heavy hoof wall is, is going to be very durable. Um, it should be appropriate to his body size is the best way to think about it. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I've ever ran into a horse whose hoof walls are uh, too big in a negative way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you, you, the average, you know, you're a thousand or so pound horse of mixed breed or average breed is going to have a hoof wall of a quarter to a three-eighths of an inch thick, um, which is typically normal. And then uh, as you get into heavier and more drafty breeds that can be much thicker than that, and then your younger, more thin-wall breeds, you know, will be much thinner than that. So your standard horseshoes that you buy, um, the rule of thumb is that the horseshoe, if you're, you know, for normal, everyday horseshoeing, the horseshoe that would cover that foot properly is twice as wide as the hoof wall is thick. Oh, that's interesting. So, I never heard that. Huh. Yeah. So if you have a three-eighths of an inch hoof wall, which is quite average for you know a lot of horses, then you have a horseshoe that's three-quarters of an inch wide, which actually supports the hoof wall properly and gives a, a small amount of sole protection without covering too much sole. Now, if you wanted a lighter shoe um, for that same size, it would be possibly thinner in thickness, but also narrower. And we would call that a narrow web shoe or a light shoe. And if we wanted, for some reason, more weight or more coverage or fuller fitting, more flotation, we would go to a wider web shoe, which would be beyond that three quarters of an inch, more like seven eighths of an inch or even an inch, depending on what we wanted. So we'd have more sole coverage for the same hoof wall. Interesting. So if we move on to the sole of the hoof, which is partially weight-bearing, again, you can have can you can you have a wide variation in the naturally occurring thickness of the horse's hoof wall, or is that a little bit more consistent from breed to breed and individual to no, individual? No, we- we do see a lot of variation in sole thickness. And again, thinner soles, um, like thinner walls, are less protective, um, easier punctured uh, by sharp objects. Um, 
uh, thinner soles don't give protection to the sensitive structures, which we're going to talk about. Um, so uh, we like to look at how much sole thickness there is if we had, we can with radiographs, and because that's what's protecting the, the bottom of the foot where the coffin bone is and um, other sensitive structures. So if, if we look at a radiograph from the side, we call it lateral view. And if this um, sole thickness is like, like only a couple millimeters thick, we're concerned. Whereas if it's like um, uh, eight millimeters thick, uh, that would be, again, pretty normal. You know, that's about five sixteenths of an inch or a quarter inch of sole thickness. Gives us adequate protection for, you know, that average horse that we talk about. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the bigger and heavier the horse is, the more sole thickness we'd like to see. And younger, lighter bone, you know, less heavy horses, um, could probably get away with a little less sole thickness. So again, um, and then there's, you know, your your sole that you see is coming from the bottom of the hoof, so you have insensitive sole on the top, but right underneath that is a sensitive sole, and there's definitely a difference between the two. And the insensitive sole is either what we kind of cut out or scrape out, that's loose, flaky stuff, whereas the sensitive sole is really pretty well attached, and we don't want to take very much of that off with our knives. Interesting. So the variation in the thickness of the sole of a horse, um, can that be affected by conformation, um, hoof balance, uh, disease, that kind of thing, or is it strictly this genetically whatever the horse came with? I would say mostly it's genetic, you know, like, uh, you know, thin skin, thick skin, all that is genetics. But there's a certain amount of environmental effect. So horses that are in very, very dry climate tend to retain their sole and it's very tight and thick. They don't shed it as, you know, they, they exfoliate the, you know, the older stuff. Whereas horses in, in wet climates tend to exfoliate their sole and everything is softer. So climate definitely will dictate a lot on that. Interesting. So we've got the hoof wall, we've got the sole. The other major structure that uh, we all get to look at every day is the frog, um, which Correct. in and of itself is, is prone to issues. What sort of issues can, will your average horse owner might come have to deal with um, that deal with the frog? The main, the main problem that you know the horse owner can see and, and monitor with the frog is more of a hygiene thing, and of course thrush, which is a bacterial infection that gets right in the clefts, whether it be the center groove of the frog or the lateral, we call the commissures, or the lateral groove of the frog. And this is a place where a lot of dirt and stuff gets trapped in, and the bacteria that cause thrush are anaerobes, so they grow really well with a lot of dirt and manure packed in. Um, but you know what? If a horse has a weak immune system, then the tissue does not fight it off as well. Whereas if a horse is a very vibrant horse, he could be living in, you know, fairly dirty situations and not have a thrush problem. So I think thrush is very misunderstood. Certainly mud and manure and wet conditions will aggravate it, but I don't believe it causes it in a lot of horses because I've seen 
horses living in really filthy conditions and not have thrush. It is and fickle, then, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, I've seen cool. horses in beautiful barns where the where the um uh 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 what was I say the stalls are kept very clean and everything and have thrush. And some of the reasons why horses might have thrush is confirmation. Because if a horse has uh like a, a toed out or toed in type of confirmation, the foot is, is kind of like being torn apart. It's unloading and loading. It's hitting one side and loading on the other, and that tears that connective tissue apart, which leaves a place for all these um, bugs that we don't like, you know, these bacteria to get in and set up shop. And once they get into the tissue, then they, you know, then it's hard to get them out because you really are not eliminating the reason why they're there in the first place. So that's so thrush is kind of funny, and I always recommend liming stalls using hydrated lime for these problems, and that really helps cut this stuff down. Oh, very interesting. That's something you can find at your local agricultural supply store. Right. Simple. And, and this is the way it was done a long time ago, and now we've gotten away from it to some degree because people, you know, leaves white powder on their boots and, and stuff like that. But I think it helps with parasites, it helps with bacteria and, and fungi. And I, I, I can't tell you how much it, it, I think it's important to line the stalls regularly. Even if you're bedding and stripping the stalls, uh, line the stalls and, and you'll have less foot problems. Hmm. Very interesting indeed. And one more uh, structure that I wanted to talk about briefly is the coronet or the coronary band, which is, if I'm correct, it's like the horse's cuticle. Is that right? It's very similar. Um, I just want to go back on to the, um, uh, the the frog one more time. The frog is really a very important structure. The frog needs to be have a certain amount of weight bearing to stay healthy. And when uh, the heels of some of these horses are either left too high by trimming and chewing and the frog doesn't bear weight, then we have a less healthy hoof over time. And so um, we have to make sure whenever, no matter what we're doing, is that the frog has a certain amount of stimulation. Uh, and uh, these frogs that we see that are um, regressed and atrophied usually are an indication of more problems, um, too. So we definitely want to look at the quality of the frog and how healthy it looks. And uh, a good, healthy frog is, is uh, less susceptible to thrush and these infection problems. But getting on the coronary band, that's kind of the junction of where your skin um, ends and the hoof begins, and part of that right adjacent to it is called a periopal, and it's sort of like this transition-type tissue, kind of like the cuticle on your fingernail. Mm-hmm. Now, are there any special considerations there? Because a lot of horses spend a lot of time with bell boots on, um, horses who jump fences that they might get bruises on the, the coronary band from hitting a jump. Um, a lot of people like to clip the coronary band to get to, so that they don't have a lot of hair there to uh, hold dirt and moisture. Are there any special considerations we should uh, think about for keeping that coronary band healthy? Um, certainly. Certainly if your horse is any type of environment or sport where the coronary band can be damaged, it's very similar to bumping your fingernail, you know, at the base of it where your skin is, it hurts, and you can get a, a little bit of a bruise in there or, you know, blood blister. And certainly bell boots to protect and when playing polo and jumping and 
anything where the horse can, you know, uh, protect, you know, needs protection, you know, it wouldn't make sense. Um, I think sometimes what happens when we overuse bell boots or some people are worried about losing shoes, so they, you know, keep the horse turned out in bell boots or overreach boots. And again, you know, sometimes that's a problem too. And they're on there constantly. You get a thing called coronitis, which is um, an irritation of the coronary band. No different, you know, a rubbing type irritation. Um, the other type of irritations you get on coronary bands are uh, it's, it's like in, in breeds that have a lot of feathery hair that is desirable, like Frisians, Clydesdales. You get pests some little mites or other types of pets living Ew. underneath the hair and and uh, attacking the tissue, which is a fairly sensitive tissue there. Ooh, that sounds yucky. So uh, keep those areas clean, whether it be by clipping or by uh, judicious, ju- judicious grooming, I guess, huh? Right, right, yeah. And certainly horses, in again, in wet, muddy conditions are more susceptible to sensitive, you know, uh, structure or, or, you know, problems where, you know, any dirt or ir- irritation that, you know, when you're rubbing dirt into places around the feet and, and, and the hairline and the, the frog and all that, when, you know, horses that get, you know, live in constant really bad manure conditions, uh, like some of the draft horses we see, you know, get uh, a, a condition beyond um, thrush, um, that it bothers the frog and the soul, which is called canker. And canker, quite often, there's a breakdown of the tissue because of the ammonia that's and the decomposing manure and everything. And then that uh, these organisms get into the vascular tissue and, and make it go crazy with super growth. And it's a very difficult infection once it gets set up. Yeah, that's that's an ugly one that you don't see a whole lot of. But when, if you've ever had to deal with it, you will never forget it. You know, between thrush and canker and any of these other things that can happen, another problem you have with fungal infections is what we call white line disease, which is defined as a fungal infection of the hoof wall that's right in, in, in the middle part of the hoof wall um, between the white line and the outer wall. It says there are three zones of the hoof wall, the stratum internum, which is the closest to the coffin bone, the stratum medium, where white line disease really starts and occurs, and the stratum externum, which is the outer hoof wall. And and microscopically, there are three layers of different cells there. And so these three different layers of the hoof wall um, uh, are there. And and white line disease is kind of like a board where um, you've seen termites get in the bottom of it and eat their way up, so the outside of the board looks pretty good. But the inside of the board is all full of termite manure. And so what you're looking at when white line disease gets in the hook wall is fungus manure. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Between canker and fungus manure, this has turned a direction I really didn't expect it to, Steve. <laughs> there you go. So uh, that's sort of the, the exterior of your horse's hoof 101. And uh, it sounds as if, if if you're seeing things that you really don't, don't uh, don't understand on your horse's hoof or you're a little concerned about, it's a good idea to ask your farrier or your veterinarian sooner rather than later. Yeah, I would say, yeah. 
Well, there you go. Well, thank you again, Steve Krause, for coming on the show and helping us out with all things hoof. Where can folks find you and learn more about the Farrier program at Cornell University? Well, you can either go on a Facebook page and just search uh, Cornell Farrier Program. You don't have to join or anything. You can like us if you want. And then um, if you go on the Cornell University Veterinary College website, there are links to us also. And um, because we do a lot of different services, we have a farrier school as part of the program. So if you want to become a horseshoer, this is one place to uh, get your schooling. If you want farrier services, um, we can supply that, too, and within reasonable driving distance. I mean, you have to bring horses in to us. We don't travel, but uh, we do serve a lot of horses throughout Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, and New York State. Well, there you have it. You can find links to today's guests as well as lots more tips at horsetipdaily.com. Make sure you have all of your favorite Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go with the free Horse Radio Network app for iPhone or Android. Just go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network, and you can also subscribe via iTunes. This podcast was made possible through the generous support of Kentucky Performance Products and listeners like you. This is Coach Jen, and I'll be back again soon with another tip. So until then, go ride your horse! The Horse Radio Network and the Horse Radio Network hosts are not responsible for statements of guests or their opinions. Use your own judgment when listening to the tips provided by the experts on Horse Tip Daily.